0: Welcome to COVID-19, Immunity in Our Community. Before we kick off the show, here's the latest COVID-19 vaccination news at the time of this recording on Monday, May 10th. At the start of this week, over 260 million vaccines have been administered in the U.S. and more than half of eligible Americans have received at least a first dose. The FDA plans to authorize the Pfizer vaccine for adolescents between 12 to 15 years old this week. Also, May is Asian-American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We're excited to bring you this episode all about the AANHPI community. And now, enjoy the show.
1: Well, hello there. I'm Robin Roberts of ABC's Good Morning America, how you doing? Welcome to COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community has been created to provide you with the groundbreaking science, honest facts, unvarnished truth, about the deadly coronavirus and the revolutionary vaccines that could put this pandemic behind us. Today, we're talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander community, also known as the AANHPI community. All of us have dealt with some level of fear over the course of this pandemic, fear for our own health or fear for the people we love. But for the Asian and Asian American community, COVID-19 also brought a different kind of anxiety. The organization Stop AAPI Hate documented 3,795 incidents of verbal harassment, civil rights violations, and physical assault over the past year. And the reporting represents only a fraction of the hate crimes being experienced by Asian Americans amid COVID. Many AANHPI citizens also fear for the safety of the people they love for another reason. Asian Americans are statistically the ethnic group most likely to live in multi-generational households. Now, this often means dealing with a complex, interconnected web of health concerns spanning a range of ages. We spoke with Trang Tu, a Vietnamese American who quarantined with her mother for over a year to keep both of them safe while providing full-time care, the COVID-19 vaccine finally allowed Trang some peace of mind and the freedom to address her own needs. We also sat down with Dr. Tung Wen, professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. He explained why it's important for everyone in a multi-generational home to get vaccinated. For AANHPI folks living in multi generational homes, ensuring the safety of the people they love is just as important as getting the vaccine themselves. Those who can't live independently are at a greater risk of contracting the disease from younger relatives who are outdoors more often for work and school. However, elderly AANHPI folks face difficulties in their pursuit of the vaccines. We're talking technology challenges, language barriers, and transportation problems. So to help secure the safety of everyone in the household, it is vital to help everyone get vaccinated. No one understands how important this is better than Trang Tu, a Seattle-based Vietnamese American. Her 90-year-old mother has dementia and requires full-time care. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, that meant she had to stay home and take on the mantle of that care. Any risk she took would also become risk to her mother's health. Many other AANHPI folks are in the same position, living with their own relatives. People of different ages and careers have varying needs and risk levels. The pandemic has complicated the lives of multi-generation households all across the country. Trang talked about what living with her mother during COVID-19 was like, the sacrifices she had to make for safety, the challenges faced by elderly folks as they try to get vaccinated and how she put together a grassroots effort to raise awareness of these challenges. She also discussed how finally getting both her mother and herself vaccinated opened doors to new freedoms and peace of mind. Here she is now with her story.
0: So my mother moved in with me here in Seattle shortly after she was diagnosed with dementia and she's been with me since. So we strict quarantined as soon as the pandemic started. Normally I have a consulting practice and I stopped consulting, stopped working for the most part. I had started looking for help, paid help, outside help for her. And I put that on hold and also stopped any family visits, Um, I would every few months normally have uh, a sibling who's retired come help out and give me respite every few months. So that really set me up for being her 16 hours a day caregiver, no other help. There were these physical and material things that i I I did and sacrificed to keep her safe, essentially trading off my income as um, a consultant, you know, an ability to you know sort of pay the bills, but also um, obviously not having help is my own mental and emotional well-being because with advanced dementia, I mean, she's completely dependent, and so the day-to-day care is, um, it's hard for me to even put into words the level of complete physical, mental, and emotional. Just, it takes everything out of you. It wasn't that I was just keeping her safe from COVID. I needed to keep her safe from anything happening that would require a visit to a medical facility. Because, you know, as, as so many of us know, there were waves where hospitals would reach capacity. uh, But even when they weren't reaching capacity, there was always that risk and therefore that fear of what would happen if I needed to take her for medical care. Would there be room for her? Would they be able to have a bed for her? And then even if they did, what would be her risk inside the hospital? And if it's something serious and I can't go in and be there with her between dementia and her language, you know, I take her to all her doctor's appointments. I'm the one who talks to any providers. So how, how is communication going to work if she has to be in there by herself with no family assistance? So all of that realization led to, led to me feeling a very visceral It's, I don't mean to exaggerate, but I was terrified of her getting sick in any way. So I knew from pretty early on, or I felt like from pretty early on, that her being able to get a vaccine was going to be the end game.
1: Because Trang knew that getting a vaccine would be crucial for her mother's and her own safety, she started searching Washington State's vaccine distribution plan to find out when they could get vaccinated. She was disappointed to discover that multi-generational households were not prioritized in the initial rollout. This was really
0: concerning to me because the discussion at the time, including nationally, was that seniors like At home, there's this whole public narrative that seniors at home were like independent on their own and safe and therefore could wait potentially until the back of the line just before the general public. And when I thought about disproportionately in communities of color, because we take care of our own elders, it really felt like a huge inequity. And so I reached out to a small group of community friends and advocates to raise this. It was right around Christmas time. I guess in a sense, that was a silver lining as people were around. It was sort of a slower slower time and came together quickly. Just in a matter of days, we pulled together a community advocacy letter to our Washington state governor and our state secretary of health to ask that elders in home care be included as a priority in the very next group. And we were able to do that because the state included in the next group, multi-generational households, which included dependent elders in home care and their caregivers who are over 50 years old. And it also included uh, families with, with multiple generations where younger generations are leaving the house to go to essential work.
1: Trang's grassroots advocacy work and life with her mother gave her an up close understanding of the barriers faced by the Asian American community.
0: A major barrier right at the start was just even being included as a priority. But then later on, once they were included and eligible for vaccination, you know, you have a system that presumes access to technology and transportation and primary fluency in English. So people do who do not have those advantages, we saw really Im- immediately as soon as the rollout happened, had a much harder time if not were completely shut out from being able to make appointments for vaccines.
1: In one instance, Trang was visiting Seattle's first high-capacity vaccination center as part of her advocacy work. She saw an elderly Vietnamese woman waiting in line and approached her to make sure she understood the vaccination process. It turned out there weren't adequate language services available. And then after the point at which I joined her, we came upon the
0: third greeter, which is the person that reads the medical screening questions in English. There was no way she would have understood those or she potentially, again, could have just been flagged through without accurately answering the medical questions that are asked, right, in order to ensure you can be safe getting the shot. And then we got to the vaccination table itself. They couldn't find her in the system. And they called in a couple of other volunteers. They sent us to a special assistance table where another volunteer tried to find her and still couldn't find her at that point. There were like five different people helping her um, and asking the same medical screening questions, were actually asked three different times. And then at, at one point, she started to wonder if she had done something wrong, you know, with all this kind of commotion. It led to me writing a letter to the mayor the following Monday. It was on a Saturday. And others in our community collective chiming in to amplify and also share concern. And to their credit, the city's lead department um, in charge of operations here was very responsive. We met with them. And then we had a tour with the mayor's office in the department a few days after that. And we've been in contact since for ongoing improvement.
1: Now that Trang and her mother have been fully vaccinated, Trang said she is able to resume some of the care plans she started pre-COVID. Most of all, she is happy for the peace of mind. Thinking about what the biggest
0: sacrifices were and what the biggest challenges were, one is I have restarted efforts to find outside help. I don't have anyone yet. But since we're vaccinated, that feels um, much safer. And of course, hopefully I'll find someone who they themselves have been vaccinated to. And then there, there's just this huge emotional relief because pre-vaccination, there is such a high level of emotional stress. And so having it just provides a huge measure of relief for my emotional stress, which in turn helps me be a more centered and focused and you know, joyful caregiver.
1: Since Trang and her mother were vaccinated, we've made strides in spreading the vaccine to more accessible locations. But we should all still help the people we care about book their appointments if they need it. To discuss how important that is, we spoke with Dr. Tung Wen, Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Wen is also the Director of the Asian American Research Center on Health and the Dean's Diversity Leader at the University of California, San Francisco. He also served on President Barack Obama's Advisory Commission on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders for six years. Dr. Wen discussed why COVID-19 is particularly troubling for folks living in multi-generational households, especially AANHPI people, who are the most likely ethnic group to share a home with extended relatives. This challenge, along with the disturbing uptick in hate crimes targeted at the community, has made COVID-19 uniquely difficult for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. To address this, here is our conversation with Dr. Tung Wen, the, With the issues of multi-generational households
2: and COVID-19 and Asian Americans in general, uh, it's been a huge issue. The big thing about Asian Americans, of course, many of them do live in multi-generational households for various di- different reasons. Uh, one may be economic, uh, another might be just cultural because we like to have large families around. And it's been difficult because, number one, the more people who live in a home, uh, there's a more risk of infections and spreading infections when someone gets it. Uh, it is much harder to stay distanced or isolated uh, within these households. It's important for everyone in a multi generation household to get vaccinated, mainly because everyone should get vaccinated for COVID-19. So that's probably the most important message to get across. It is an incredibly effective vaccine, uh, all of all of them. And so there is really no reason not to get the vaccine. For those who live in multi generation household, it's important because uh, the vaccine is not perfect. So uh, let's say, for example, we have older parents or grandparents uh, living in a household and they got vaccinated, uh, let's say, with a very effective vaccine in the 90 to 95% range. There's a small chance that they can still get COVID. So people living in the same home with them, if they get vaccinated, then they're much less likely to get the infection and bring it home and give it to their parents or grandparents. For optimal protection, obviously, we do recommend that that people do, you know, maintain their wearing their mask. But the more people who are vaccinated, the less likely that the infection will get passed around.
1: Though it's important for everyone to get vaccinated, Dr. Wen has also seen the systemic barriers that may prevent AANHPI folks from pursuing vaccines.
2: Yeah, I do think that AANHPI uh, people have a lot of barriers in getting uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, the first really big issue is that we've relied on technology to get information out about the vaccine and scheduling and getting access to the vaccine. That means that those people who have a digital divide have trouble dealing with that. And, and that means they don't have a smartphone or a tablet computer, they don't have access to the internet or, or high-speed internet. Uh, and even when they do have all those things, the places where they go on the web, to sign up, for example, or to get information are not designed in a way that's easy for them to use. Uh, for example, in the same language or uh, easy for older people to use, things like that. And then there's also these issues around fear of getting outside. So you fear going outside because you may get COVID. Another fear is going outside and being attacked uh, with all this anti-Asian hate and violence that's going on. So there are all these barriers. And in general, uh, language I think is a big, big problem
1: Trang Tu's case shows that national and local governments are listening to feedback and trying to improve the vaccine sign-up process. However, it will always be crucial for us to also help the people in our lives get vaccinated, especially if they're living with us. So the people who are living with
2: others who have trouble getting vaccination, uh, the first thing they have to do is make sure that they are answering any relevant questions about the vaccine getting good information, because there is still some vaccine hesitancy, right? So now there's, you know, when we think about people who aren't getting the vaccine, you start with, do they want it, (laughs) right? So, you you know, and oftentimes they may, they think they don't want it because they don't have adequate information. They have misinformation about the vaccine. So you hear about all this rumors and all sorts of these fears that are not necessarily founded on scientific or clinical facts. And someone who lives with them, who, understands more, or have access to more information, even in English, hopefully can get that information to them uh, in English or in the native Asian language so that they can at least make the right decision to get the vaccine or not for themselves. Uh, The second thing is, of course, you know, we, we emphasize logistical support. Again, once a person decides they want to get the vaccine, there are all these barriers that I mentioned. And so, can we help them make the appointment? So, they need a little bit of hand-holding, I think, uh, um, at least with the younger people who are more tech-savvy, uh, to help them uh, make the appointment when it doesn't happen the first time. I think another is to work with community organizations that actually know how to work with Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and their communities, uh, and help, have them help you or whichever agency that's delivering the vaccine to uh, actually go out and create materials, create, uh, you know, even having friends and and employees helping them get uh, to the vaccine, get to the vaccine. I, I have to say that, you know, in my own clinical setting, I had uh, a few months ago when it, the, the, the limit was just for those who are 65 and older. So I looked at all my patients who are 65 and older who didn't get the vaccine yet. And almost all of them were Asians and older (laughs) who didn't speak English. And, you know, I asked the question of why, why is that? And again, I already talked a little bit about the technology barriers and the language barriers. It got a lot better once our staff started making phone calls
1: in language. With hate crimes against Asian Americans pushed to the forefront amid the pandemic, fear of racism presents yet another barrier for the community.
2: I do think racism and prejudice play into a lot of the issues that Asian-American and Native American Pacific have been encountering during the COVID pandemic. As someone who's actually been doing this work with uh, these communities for about 20 years now, I've been very loud and vocal about the underlying structural issues that deny uh, these communities access to the services they need and paid for, by the way, because we pay taxes too these communities are underserved. Uh, they're underserved uh, in terms of both what they need in terms of their, their numbers in the populations, right? So I, I wanna start with that conversation first because we talk a lot about is an individual hate, right? If we're talking about these individuals who go out and you know spit on people and push people and shoot people. And those are very important things, right? But one thing that we should recognize in the COVID pandemic is individual deaths from isolated events are small. Millions are dying from COVID, right? So, so these kind of structural problems are affecting people beyond COVID. They affect them in diabetes. They affect them in cancer, you know. People are dying from these kinds of racism and prejudice. And I do want us to address those in our systems. Uh, people are afraid to go out, right? So it, the, from the moment when, when the leader of this country said it's the Chinese flu or where it is, it put a target on everybody's back. And they were afraid to go out. And as a physician, early on, actually, I was saying, oh, no, no, no. You still got to come in and get tested if you think you have a problem. This is before the vaccination days, right? And they're like, I'm afraid to go out. And now I think they were justified because when they go out, they get put, you know, these older Asians are getting pushed down on the street and then get and spat on. So... How, how, that's a real fear, and it's validated. It's not just, oh, I'm afraid, and therefore I'm not going to get tested. So, uh, so, so I do think that that's been a real problem.
1: Now that everyone is eligible to sign up for a vaccine, it remains crucial to help relatives and friends who need it book their appointments while the systems improve around us to make the process easier. The take-home message, I think, is that we
2: want everyone to get vaccinated, right? So, obviously, as an Asian American, I want all Asian Americans vaccinated, but even a non-Asian American person should want all Asian Americans to get vaccinated, because, again, the more people vaccinated, the sooner we can get back to life... uh, uh, as normal as it can be post the pandemic, right? So so it, it, it's important to all of us to make sure all of us get vaccinated. So so that's, starting with that, though, I think then the question becomes, well, how can we help address these barriers? So, for example, if you're an Asian American person and you're trying to get the vaccine and you can't get it for whatever reasons uh, that, that you encounter, you should report it. Uh, one of the reasons why this whole uh, anti-Asian hate thing has really capture everyone's uh, imagination besides the actual events themselves, is that back in March of 2020, some Asian-American researchers decided to collect data on these Asian hate incident. So as soon as this the, the people started paying attention to it, now they say, well, oh, look, this data has been collected. Look, it's real. It's not just like one person telling you this or the two people telling you this. It's been collected for a year. We want the same approach with sort of the racism that's related to not giving people language access to the vaccine. So there's this uh, website that we, uh, people at Asian American Research Center on Health, Asian Health Services and APCHA were created called asianamvoices.org. So it's asianamvoices.org. And the purpose of the website is to do what uh, Stop Asian Hate did for anti-Asian incidents, which is enable people to report uh, barriers and problems that I had in, in trying to get the COVID vaccine. The website is actually available in multiple Asian languages I think 10 now uh, to date and as well as English so that people can uh, go there and say well I tried to get the vaccine but I ran into this problem because they wouldn't serve me because I don't speak English for example Uh, and this way we'll be able to track uh, how often this is happening Uh, hopefully by finding out where it's happening we can give feedback to those organizations and places, and say, hey, your your patients are having trouble, can you do something about it, right? So we can try to help solve some of these problems. So people who are just doing their very best to get the vaccine and, and not able to get it, at least have a way to troubleshoot it with systems.
1: Trang 2 and Dr. Tung Wen both address how crucial it is for everyone, everyone in multi-generational households to get vaccinated, not just older AANHPI people. Your health is deeply interconnected with the health of your household and your community. Now that everyone is eligible, you can finally get some peace of mind by helping the people you love sign up for a vaccine and booking an appointment for yourself, too. Like Trang Tu's Grassroots Collective, can all work together to ensure the people who need these vaccines the most can get access. To get vaccinated, go to cdc.gov slash coronavirus and scroll down to the middle of the page to click on the word vaccines. From there, click on vaccine finder and the site will help you determine where you can get the vaccine and how to make an appointment. Now you don't have to worry about paying for your vaccine. Your taxpayer dollars are funding the rollout so there's no individual cost to you. So if someone asks you to provide your insurance information, that's only so your vaccination provider can bill your insurance for the administrative costs, but you will not be personally responsible for any expenses. I'd like to thank our guests, Trang Tu and Dr. Tung Wen for sharing their thoughts and their expertise with us today. Hope you got to tune in again for episode five, in which we'll talk about the importance of being a health decision maker and caregiver for family, friends, and loved ones, and how community health care navigators can serve as trusted messengers for the people we care about. COVID-19 immunity in our community was developed and paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, part of a public education campaign to increase public confidence in COVID-19 vaccines while reinforcing basic prevention measures. We can do this. Presented by iHeartRadio and ABC News, this podcast is hosted by me, Robin Roberts. The episode was executive produced, Ethan Fixel with production by Wonder Media Network. It was written, engineered, and edited by Edie Allard, a triple threat, with research assistance from Alessandra Tejada. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community, what are you waiting for? Please do so on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, I am Robin Roberts, and this is COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community. We can do this. Thank you for listening.